Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate communities shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. We'd love for you to join us on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're calling this year the Year of the Bible as we read and study through the Bible cover to cover. On August 25th, we'll kick off the New Testament along with home-based small groups who will study the weekly reading together. If you'd like more information about any of this, visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. Well, we're, we're going through the Gospels. It's been so fun. Um, I feel like I have the voice of God right now, so if I'm a little loud, Brian, maybe you can help me. And one of the things I love about going through the Gospels is we see all of these individual encounters between Jesus and, and individuals. The crowd plays the, the role of kind of a character in all of the Gospels, but we see these moments where the camera zooms in and Jesus is face-to-face with a person. We meet Jairus, who's, who's crying out to Jesus on behalf of his daughter who's sick. We meet this woman who's caught in adultery. We meet this centurion who's, who's crying out on behalf of his servant. We meet this woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. And it gives us these interactions between Jesus and individuals, gives us these moments where we can see ourselves. Imagine what it would be like to be us standing face to face with Jesus. And maybe we even find our, like identify ourselves with this person. That reminds me of me. And what's so beautiful about Marcia sharing her story is that it tells us that Jesus is still coming face to face with individuals because he loves us. He loves us in our afflicted state, in the pain that we inflict on ourselves. He loves us. And he's still extending that friendship and that mercy to all of us. And so if you are uh, it, like, like Marcia, admitting you're still in recovery. I'm in recovery from the wounds of life. There is hope for you in Jesus. That's why it's, it's been so rich uh, to, to like immerse ourselves in the gospel story together, which is what we've been doing for the last uh, five weeks. This is actually the sixth Sunday uh, that we've been preaching through the New Testament this year. Uh, we started on August 25th. And we looked at that call of Jesus to the disciples. Do you remember this? In Matthew chapter 5, where after he had um, been baptized by his cousin John and he'd been sent into the wilderness to be tempted, he came back in the power of the Spirit and began extending invitations to people to be his apprentices and his students. And when he went first to these four fishermen and he extended an invitation, come and follow me. And Peter and Andrew and James and John, just in the same way, responded. They said immediately they left their nets and they followed Jesus. Immediately. They were on the hook in that moment. What are you going to do? I'm asking you. I'm looking you in the eyes. What are you going to do? Immediately they had to make a choice. And they left their nets. We talked about how in answering the call to Jesus, there's a severance that takes place. There's a severance from a, a past and a present that's controllable, one that we are at the helm of our lives. There's a severance. They said no to their past and their present on their own terms. But then it says they, they left their nets and they followed Jesus. They began to say yes to a, a future that was under the control of somebody 
else. And this invitation to follow me was an invitation of grace. Jesus loved these men, but it was a costly invitation because the invitation required that severance. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about this as costly grace. Costly grace required the disciples to leave their nets and follow, that severance. We contrast this to cheap grace, which is what so many of us prefer, which is grace on our terms, that we feel like we get to say yes to following Jesus while also doing our own thing with the boats and the nets. That's cheap grace. Jesus is inviting us into a place where faith is required, where we have to resolve to trust him. Then the following week, we looked at Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount on prayer and how to pray. And it's interesting that when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, teach us how to pray, Jesus did not say, just talk to God like you're talking to a friend. He gave them some instructions, and maybe even more importantly, he gave them a prayer. Here's a guide. When I was a kid, I took piano lessons from Sandy Pierce, and I still know all of my scales. I still know my arpeggios. I still know some of the chord formations on the piano, even though I hadn't taken lessons since a child. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount, especially the Lord's Prayer, like our version of the scales and the chords and the arpeggios of learning to pray, learning to pray the disciples' prayer or the Lord's Prayer that, that Jesus first gave those who asked him, like models for us, this is how we pray the kingdom into reality. Prayer is not performance art. Prayer is not worrying out loud. Prayer is not a mechanical process. Prayer is not magic, something that works. Prayer is an an attentive conversation between father and child about that which concerns us. And so Jesus taught us how to pray. After that, we looked at Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler. And what's sad about the story of the rich young ruler is it serves as like the foil or the opposite to the call of the disciples because Jesus extends this graceful opportunity to the rich young ruler to come and follow me. But to this guy whose heart Jesus knew, he added something. He said, go, sell all your possessions and give the proceeds to the poor and then come and follow me. But he walked away sad. We talked about how in the church, talking about money is a precarious thing. It's a dangerous thing. And pastors screw it up tons, along with many other things. But pastors screw up this conversation about money because many times we do it through the framework of fundraising. I told the example of these these parachurch organizations who train pastors to give a mini commercial every Sunday, which is just a, a model for talking about money in the church that I reject. Because what happens, uh, I got a phone call during this service from a solicitor. I didn't answer it, but I know that's who it was from. What happens when we're being sold something or solicited something, especially in an intrusive way, is we shut down. We quarantine ourselves from that person. And so when we shut down enough times on the topic of money and God, we end up saying to God, this is a part of my life that I'm not going to let you speak into. But this is a part of our life about which Jesus is deeply concerned because when we talk about money, we're talking about security, like physical security, emotional security, relational security, image and identity security, even things like ultimate security. It was with good reason that Jesus said to the disciples, you can't serve God and money. 
Money was named as the number one competitor to our allegiance to Jesus. And so we had this conversation about money and security and allegiance. We discussed how in keeping money in its proper place, we have to make a deliberate shift that I am not the owner. I don't have my wallet on me. Everybody want to pass me your wallets, okay? <laughs> I am not the owner of this money, this wealth that's been entrusted to me. I'm not the owner of my time. I'm a steward of everything that has been entrusted to me. And we behave differently when we go from owner to steward. So what we, we, we recognize what appears to be mine, my wealth, my money, my time, my house, my car, my, my, even my children, what appears to be mine is actually God's. And so as Jesus is addressing this conversation about, about security and wealth and following him, we recognize we, start, we need to start asking a better question. So we ask the question, how shall I use the gifts you've given me? And then a couple of weeks ago, we heard from Ashley Matthews from Trinity Anglican. And Ashley gave this great message on the teaching of Jesus. It's, I've not come, uh, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I remember sitting there and my heart just mmming. As Ashley said, when we, when we deny our sickness, when we're, uh, when we're dishonest with ourselves about our need for healing, we're denying ourselves an opportunity to be close to Jesus who wants to make us well. When we deny our sickness, we deny ourselves an opportunity to be healed because Jesus came for the sick and for the sinner. In the last week, we looked at this, uh, this uh, story of Jesus in John chapter 5, which Marcia referenced, the question, do you want to be well? And I have come to believe this is the question of life. Uh, one of the startling realities is that we may not actually want what we say or think we want. We may not actually want to be well, to do the things that it takes to say yes to Jesus' invitation, to take those steps toward sobriety or toward recovery. Do you want to be well? I actually am not totally sure. Jesus, most of the time, people like go running after him, like, hey, heal me, heal my kid, heal my servant. But in this case, Jesus initiates the healing. But before, before he heals this paralytic guy, he verifies, is this something you want. We can say that we want to be well, but the real determining factor is what happens when your behavior is brought into the light. What, what happens is like, like I mentioned last week, being in a deep nap and my daughter woke me up and threw the lights on, I started fighting the light. This is what happens when the lights are turned on, our unhealth and our sickness. We fight the light. We deny the light. We hide the light. We want to get out of being exposed. We ask the question, how do you know where you're unwell? Well, look at the areas of your life where you're the most defensive. Look at those areas of your life where you're most inclined to be secretive. You have behaviors or hurts or patterns of unhealth that maybe no one on earth knows, even the people closest to you. Where are you secretive? Uh, where are you constantly rationalizing? I really hate exercise. And so, like, every, like, three or four months, I'll tell myself, I'm just going to go out and run, and I'm going to run for 10 minutes. At the beginning of the workout, 10 minutes. John, don't talk yourself out of it. Well, I get 200 meters down the road, and I'm like, well, 10 minutes was unrealistic. <laughs> and 
eight minutes will be a great start and get a little like two mailboxes further down. Like, okay, I was too ambitious with even eight. Five minutes and I'll walk it and I'll feel good about that. Rationalizing behavior. Where are you doing that with a secret of behavior, with an area where you're defensive? And then finally, just to look at the wake of our lives. Where have I harmed people? And each of these, where we're secretive, where we're defensive, where we're rationalizing, where we're hurting other people can give us an indication, oh, that's an area where I've not yet invited Jesus to heal me. So so what do you do? You confess to God. Uh, Those who love the truth step into the light, voluntarily expose themselves to the light. We confess our sins to God, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess, he's faithful and just, he'll forgive us and he'll purify us. We also confess to other people, James 5, 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We put together a plan and community. We announce our intentions to be well, and we, we trust in the process of recovery. And so if we were to look at these, these five weeks, these five sermons, I could attempt to summarize what we've looked at uh, through the story of the gospel so far kind of like this. In these five weeks, we've seen how Jesus is inviting us into a new future, into a place of intimacy with our Heavenly Father through prayer, where we surrender our false securities and we renounce rival allegiances, where we discover our true security and significance in the kingdom of God, where we're safe to admit our sin and our sickness and our unhealth, and we actively invite Jesus in to make us well in our whole person. It's a beautiful invitation of Jesus to sever ourselves from past into present that is controllable and to open ourselves up to a redefined future with Jesus at the helm. And very, very briefly this morning, uh, we're going to look at a passage in Luke's gospel. The majority of this passage, Jesus is quoting a passage from Isaiah. And this gives us a beautiful kind of... uh, like way of tying a ribbon around our first read through the Gospels uh, this year as a church. It's in Luke chapter 4. I invite you to turn there. Uh, if you have a pew Bible, it's going to be on page 1464. And tell you what, let's actually just read this out loud together. Here we go. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine if I did that with a passage of scripture? Like, you know me. He's in his, Jesus is in his hometown with people who knew him running around in diapers. And they said, like, yeah, yeah, this is Joseph and Mary's kid. Oh, he's going to get up and do a little reading. Good for him. Can you imagine in a small town getting up and saying, oh, 
By the way, the thing I'm about to read, this prophecy given to God by Isaiah, it was written about me 500 years ago. And so after this passage, this reading, the people scoff, say, isn't this Joseph and Mary's kid? And they, they have bitterness in their hearts. They don't respect him or believe in him. And he says, no prophet is welcome in their hometown. Uh, the text gives us, in reverse order, a glimpse at the dual ministry of Jesus. The first way we could look at this is as, as a ministry of hospitality. Uh, if you have your Bible, look at that passage from Isaiah. Look at the people Jesus says he came for. Who's he welcoming? Who's he pursuing? According to Isaiah, it's the poor, the captive, the blind, and the oppressed. Think back to your reading through the Gospels in, in Matthew, Mark, John, and now Luke, which we're reading through this week. Who's Jesus chasing after? It's the lepers, the blind, the deaf, the lame, the dead, the demon-possessed, the ashamed. Jesus touches the untouchable. He spends so much time with sinners, with tax collectors, and with drunks that people start calling him a drunk and a glutton. It's a ministry of hospitality. Jesus is walking around like he owns the place because he does, and he's welcoming people into the kingdom. He said to the Pharisees and to the tax collectors, look, a day's going to come where the prostitutes and the tax collectors are marching ahead of you into the kingdom of God. Jesus is playing host with this ministry of hospitality. He was called a drunk and a glutton. It makes me think with a certain degree of shame about my own use of time and who I spend my time with. And you might just reflect for yourself, what percentage of your time do you spend with people who are not like you? What percentage of my time do I just spend with other middle-class white Christians? What percentage of my time am I spending with people who are far from Jesus and need to experience for the first time the hospitality of God? You realize when you like begin taking a survey or an audit of your time and your days, you realize most of us live in bubbles. But Jesus was always on the go. Jesus was always announcing to other people that the kingdom of God is at hand, and you're wanted, and you're welcome. Are we exercising this ministry of hospitality? And we also see in the Luke reading and in, in uh, his reading from Isaiah, this ministry of healing. What is Jesus doing for those he welcomes? We see first in the Isaiah reading, it says he's sharing good news. You know when you've had a lot of days of bad news and someone tells you something surprisingly good? Or like, you know, like literally reading the news in the newspaper or watching cable news and like ratings go up when things are terrible. But every now and then there's something great and you're like, oh, awesome. Hey, that works out for me. Jesus came to announce good news to the poor. There's the, in the Isaiah reading, there's good news. There's the proclamation of freedom. There's the recovery of sight for the blind. Can you imagine being imprisoned? And someday your jailer comes and unlocks it and escorts you to the gate and says, you're free. That's a good day. When you're blind, I, I have terrible vision. And in fact, it happened last night where I showered and I took out my contacts and my glasses were in the other room. And I literally can't see my glasses. It's like, oh, dear gracious, I need some help. 
Can you imagine not seeing or not hearing or not walking? Or for those of you who experience chronic pain in one way or another, and then one day it's gone, that's a good day. Jesus says, this is what I've come for, and we see it in his ministry where there's, there's physical healing. He's casting out demons. He's restoring the dignity of people. He's forgiving sin. He's announcing the year of the Lord's favor. Hey, you are lucky. God likes you. It's announcing the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is welcoming and showing like the love and the welcoming spirit of God through this ministry of hospitality. And he's also extending the love of God through this ministry of healing, making the sick well, forgiving the sinner, uh, giving the, the, those who are undignified dignity, the, the ability to hold their heads high. It's hospitality and it's healing. We tend to err as followers of Jesus and his churches when we pick one ministry at the exclusion of the other. We tend to screw things up when we only have this ministry of hospitality or welcome, or we only have a ministry of healing. If you only have a ministry of hospitality, you welcome everybody, but you challenge nobody except for those who won't welcome everybody. If you only have a ministry of hospitality, that's how we behave. If you have a ministry of only healing, we tend to welcome people who already have their act together, and uh, we challenge everybody, especially those who don't. And some of you probably grew up in a, one of these two churches. You could name churches in the city of Tulsa around the place that pick one of these ministries where everybody is welcomed and no one is challenged, where everyone's going to get the living daylights beaten out of them all the time. So you live under this cloud of shame and guilt and not good enough. We actually fail to show love when we pick one at the exclusion of the other. We fail to show the love of God when we welcome everybody but never offer and encourage the kind of healing that Jesus wants to offer us. We also fail to show love when we offer healing or correction but we never show the welcoming kindness of Jesus. And for each of us in this room, we probably like lean toward preferring one of those. You're like, oh, the hospitality one, that's me. Or the healing one, you're the reformer. You're like, yeah, that's me. And the challenge probably for each of us, the challenge of growth is to move toward the thing that you're less attracted to. Because it often means that's the thing that we need the most. Man, it sucks to be in the light when your sin is exposed. But Lord Jesus, I need you to exercise this ministry of healing in my life. Or maybe you're here and you have been so beaten up by judgmental churches. One of my dear friends in the church uh, last year shared this with me. He grew up in churches that just beat him over the head with a Bible. And so it was in his early, mid-20s that he discovered for the first time that God actually loves him. If that's you and you've just been judged and condemned and like hit over the head with a Bible by other people, Jesus loves you and Jesus wants to make you well. He has this ministry of hospitality, and he has this ministry of healing. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is he doesn't hold these things in balance. Jesus is not 50% healing, 50% hospitality. Nor is he 50% God and 50% man. Nor is he 50% grace and 50% truth. Jesus holds these realities in perfect unity. Jesus is perfect 
and holy in his hospitality. And Jesus is also perfect and holy in his ability to be our healer. N.T. Wright said this beautifully in The Challenge of Jesus. He said, Jesus' healings were the sign of a radical and healing inclusivism. Not simply including everyone in a modern laissez-faire, anything-goes fashion, but dealing with the problems at the root so as to birth, to bring to birth a truly renewed, restored community whose new life would symbolize and embody the kingdom of which Jesus was speaking. What I love about this is that it gives us our cues for behavior as a church. That the hospitality and the healing offered by Jesus or the healing inclusivism of Jesus gives us our marching orders and our aspiration for how we're to behave as this renewed community. The mission of our church is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. A community. We're not just lone rangers in our journey of following Jesus. Hey, good luck with yours. I'm doing my own. Jesus did not come to create a church of individual religious consumers. He came to create a community, his bride. We are one in his eyes. We're to be a community. And so we want to develop an imagination of usness where we're practicing hospitality toward each other, where we're actively part of each other's healing. But we're, we're this community that's shaped by the gospel. It's not just a welcome, but it's let's learn to be well together and then join God in the renewal of all things the healing of all things until all people know they are welcome in the family of God and all people are being renewed and transformed by the love of God shown to us in Jesus Christ. And all of this is just beautifully displayed, the healing inclusivism of Jesus at the communion table. But consider that, that last supper that Jesus had with the disciples. Who was around the table? Judas, who was about to betray him for money, would kiss him. Oh, what a disgusting kiss, a kiss of betrayal. There's Peter who said, I will never abandon you. And like these suckers, I'm going to be right with you through thick and thin. Three times that night denies him. The rest of them scatter, hide themselves. Jesus offers this healing inclusivism, this ministry of hospitality toward the men that night who would betray him. Even on the cross, Jesus is practicing this ministry of healing inclusivity as the, the soldiers are there mocking him and the religious elite are there uh, laughing at him. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. Even there on the cross, he's practicing this ministry of hospitality. When you're playing a great host, you overlooked your, the, the errors and the faux pas of the people you're hosting. He's doing a ministry of hospitality and a ministry of healing, interceding to his Father on their behalf. And just like the disciples who were a mixed bag gathering around his table at the Last Supper, we're a mixed bag in this room. Some of us who need to hear and appreciate for the first time truly the hospitality and the welcoming love of God in Jesus, you may not actually get that he loves you, and he does. 
Or maybe you're here and you like live in the shadows. Everyone may know you. You may be popular. You may be liked. Like everyone may think, like have this narrative about who you really are. But you know your own life in the shadows. And Jesus wants to offer you a ministry of healing. And all of this happens at the table. When we come forward with open hands and a posture of submission and receiving, say, yeah, welcome me, host me, serve me. The scripture says in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray, each of us to our own ways, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And at this table, as we come forward, we remember how Jesus was broken so that we would be healed. Jesus was counted among the sinners and the drunks and the tax collectors and the prostitutes so that we who were counted among the sinners could be counted among the righteous because of what he did for us. Emptying himself so that we would be filled, lay down his life so that we could take up a redeemed and renewed one. And all of this is proof of God's love for us. I hope as we've gone through the Gospels the last two months and as we begin to transition to the story of Acts and we look at the birth of the church, that we begin to find ourselves in the story and invite and cooperate with the Spirit of God as He conforms us together into the image of Jesus. He wants to welcome you and He wants to make you well. And this morning we get, to, uh, we get to embody that reality as we take the bread and the juice into our bodies, the sign that this was personalized for me and not just for the masses. So before we come, let's take a deep breath. Let's pray together. Let's ready our hearts to receive, to personally and to corporately receive this gift from Jesus. Father in heaven, I pray for my friends this morning who have only known judgment, who, who hate the church or maybe even would say they disbelieve in you because of how poorly the church has behaved. I pray this morning that they would hear your invitation of love. Come to me, all of you who are weary, burdened, heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm humble and gentle in spirit and in me you're going to find rest for your souls. If that's you and you're beaten up, Jesus loves you. He wants to welcome you, treat you with dignity and honor. And if you're here this morning and you, you carry uh, sin, maybe it's, maybe it's a recurring behavior, a recurring thought pattern, and you've tried like hell to change and you can't change yourself. Or maybe you're, you're deeply wounded from something that somebody else did to you and you're overcompensating or you're hiding or it hurts so much to bring that part of your heart into the light that you have hidden and denied. And Jesus wants to make you well because he loves you and because he can. Pray, Lord Jesus, for all of us that we'd find ourselves in your presence, your holy presence. Remember, like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they... Jesus, they were talking with you and they didn't recognize you, but when you broke the bread, they saw you. May we see you today and experience your welcome, your hospitality, and your healing as we take the body and the blood of Jesus into our bodies. Make us new and make us one in Christ.